Hello, new listeners, Megan here. If you're hearing this, Paige and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to Spooky Science Sisters and give you a heads up about audio quality in this episode. We've learned a lot since we started this podcast, including how to properly record our voices. But unfortunately, the sound in our earliest episodes isn't great. We encourage you to keep listening and want to make you aware that it does improve over the first few episodes. Thanks again for your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. So I feel like that was a pretty good summary of things that could be mistaken for possession, and your doctor will just tell you that you have mono. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to talk about that paranoid bed bug thing. I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Spooky Science Sisters. I am one of your hosts, Megan, and I'm here with Paige. I'm Paige, and I'll be your other host for Spooky Science Sisters. I am a research scientist. I have a PhD in geology. Uh, I am also a scientist. I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry. My entire life, uh, I have loved all things Halloween. I love horror movies. I love to be creeped out and read scary stories. Um, And uh, Paige is actually the one that introduced me to podcasts. Specifically, she got me hooked on true crime podcasts, but I now listen to a lot of paranormal ones and kind of mystery podcasts. Now that we're all kind of stuck at home, I thought that it would be fun to finally do one of my own um, and do one from the perspective of a scientist who is interested in debunking some of the things that people attribute to the paranormal or I don't know, whether it be ghosts or aliens or whatever, but they can actually be explained by by science or by everyday things. So yeah, that's me. Paige, why are you interested in doing this podcast? That's a good question, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Ever since I was young, I was always interested in investigating fake crimes. I always had little CSI kits. Um, and forensic chemistry is really kind of what pushed me towards getting that degree in chemistry. So I've always really been in, into like investigating things. Uh, Halloween's always been my favorite holiday, same with Megan. And I have really gotten into, uh, like she said, true crime podcasts, a lot of spooky shows, um, shows about hauntings, that kind of thing. So when Megan first brought this up, I thought this was a great idea. We should also mention that Paige and I are sister-in-laws, um, hence the spooky, well, no, hence the sisters part of spooky science sisters. So we both like spooky things. We are both scientists and I am married to Paige's brother. So we are sisters-in-law. So, so did anything spooky happen to you this week? Oh, Yeah. So for each episode, we thought it would be fun to talk about since the last episode, and in this case, just like 
recently, since this is our very first episode, um, if anything spooky has happened to us. And yes, something spooky did happen to me. Um, My 11-month-old daughter uh, was taking a nap in her crib the other day. Door was closed. Nobody was in there. Um, We'll sometimes wind up this little music box to play while she falls asleep. And it had like long since gone, like stopped playing, slowed down and stopped playing. And then uh, I'm coming out of the bathroom upstairs and like all of a sudden I hear the music box start playing again. Um, Yeah, and no one was in there. Like she can't get to it or touch it. Probably it's just that it's a really old music box and like got wound a little bit funny. So it kicked back on, but yeah, that was something spooky that happened to me because I'm telling you hearing it's a small world, like mysteriously start playing (laughs) out of your life. That sounds horrifying. (laughs) Is terrifying. (laughs) Um, Maybe my brother was just in there messing with you. Oh, and he was out in his office working and he had the baby monitor um, because he was like on duty. And so for him, it like just started playing over the baby monitor, which is like (laughs) (laughs) stuff. Um, (laughs) Okay. So Paige, did anything spooky happen to you recently? I can't think of anything spooky that happened to me recently, but I do have a story that is like directly related to our topic today. So I can wait and share that later. Okay. For the first episode, um, we, I don't know, kind of wanted to pick like a more general topic to get our feet wet. So we're going to be focusing on demonic possession um, slash sort of in the same realm um, exorcism. So, so should I tell my spooky story now? Yeah, because okay. we know that we're going to talk about this so you can actually tell your story. Yeah, so now that we know what the topic is, the spooky thing that happened to me, it did happen several years ago. I may have been in junior high school, but I still remember it's not it. not like several years ago. That's like... We're not going to talk about, hold on, how old I am. <laughs> the other day I was thinking about how in 10 years I'll almost be 30. And then I realized actually in 10 years I'll almost be 40. So <laughs> that, that was heartbreaking. But anyway, um, so many, many years ago when I was in junior high school, I was with my cousin and we watched the movie Exorcism of Emily Rose. and. I mean, there are a couple parts that like spooked me out a little bit, but mostly I was fine. Uh, have you ever seen the movie? I have not actually seen it, and I'm sort of regretting not watching it before we did this. So I do really like that movie. Um, and it's one of those where it's like the three o'clock is like the demon hour. So everything scary happens at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. So yeah. We, we fall asleep. And my cousin tells me that around like 2.50 in the morning, I start talking in my sleep. <laughs> and it like freaks out a little bit, but I it's not the first time I've done this. So she kind of just lets it go until at exactly three o'clock in the morning, she says, I sit up and start making this like really creepy sound at her. What the and hell? Ap- apparently I was just doing this. 
Uh, no, no. For uh, an extended period of time. I don't know how long. Obviously, I don't remember it, but apparently that happened. So that's my spooky story for this week. Uh... <laughs> so potentially I have been possessed by a demon slash am still. are a demon. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm recording this podcast with a former demon child. Um, <laughs> That's not the first time somebody's called me that. <laughs> Yikes. That is terrifying. That is, like, <laughs> objectively terrifying. Yeah, I kind um, of would have been on tape. Okay. Well, what are your thoughts, Paige, as a rational human being (laughs) and a scientist what are your like general thoughts towards the idea of demons and exorcisms and all this or demonic possession and stuff um so this is actually a particularly creepy episode for me i don't i've never really believed i don't think in demons or demonic possession uh and exorcisms I can't really say that I've ever really believed in those, but uh, I've always I've always said that I was never going to do anything to piss the demons off if they did <laughs> exist, you know, just in case. <laughs> um, so this this could be it for me. <laughs> uh, what about you? Uh, yeah. So my thing was like I'm not a religious person, so. The idea of the existence of demonic spirit, yeah, demonic spirits, I guess in like the Catholic sense, which is like what you most commonly see portrayed in movies, um, or the idea of possession or whatever, doesn't really scare me as much as other paranormal stuff. Um, Although, like watching Paranormal Activity, the first one, which my husband and I had like just moved in together. Um, when I started grad school and we went to see that in theaters and like that scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, it's like, that's like a very long way of saying like, that it's less likely to be real than some of the other things that we'll talk about in future episodes. Um, yeah. But you don't want to piss them off just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, it's like my friend says, uh, re-ghosts, but like also applies here. I don't really believe in them, but I reserve the right to be scared of them. (laughs) 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 That's where I am. (laughs) Well, I think think you're going to touch on this a little bit later, but... um... I think just the the thought or the belief that there are people believing that they can be possessed and people believing that they are possessed is can, can cause people to do scary things and can um, exactly <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so Paige and I um, went through and did I guess sort of separate research um, and. I cheesily enough decided, I think in a tweet to call it literature review because that's the scientist in me. <laughs> um, 
But uh, anyway, so we both kind of did separate research, uh, took some notes, and what we found is that, holy cow, there is a lot of information about demonic possession and different cases and what might be going on or like what is going on with the claims that people make about it. And I know on my part, and I'm sure Paige as well, like we did the best we could to filter out bullshit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what it came down to um, is that we sort of had to uh, focus in a little bit and kind of focus on aspects that we thought were particularly interesting um, or kind of choose either like an article or a set of articles that each of us really wanted to cover um, in more detail because otherwise it was just going to be everything (laughs) um, (laughs) possible and it was going to take us, I don't know, a year to read it all on the internet. Forever. Yes. So no. Um, Okay. So what we should start with though is, yeah, what is demonic possession? Um, Or sometimes you'll see it called spirit oppression, depending on what, you are reading. Uh, It is the belief that an alien spirit, demon, or entity controls a person's actions. And so things that uh, go along with this are things like missing memories, um, perceptual distortions, loss of a sense of control, and hyper-suggestibility. And one thing that I thought was interesting was that Erica Bourguignon, Erica Bourguignon is, or was, excuse me, an American anthropologist at Ohio State University, did a study of 488 societies worldwide, and of those, 74% were found to have a belief in possession by spirits. So that is really crazy. Um, And I guess it was the highest in Pacific cultures, the lowest in Native American cultures. When was this study done? I have no idea because obviously like the excellent researcher that I am, I didn't write that part down. <laughs> but she passed away though. So it, I think it was a while ago. I wonder how much that's changed. Like if it's gone down. Yeah, I would imagine that it has. Though apparently... Uh, more and more people are thinking that they're they're being possessed since like 2008 or something so maybe it's going up I don't know I don't know I should have followed up on that but I did think that it was an interesting factoid well and I'll bring it up later that it's like this universal or near universal concept in different cultures so the catholic version of possession um, and this idea of like demonic possession or spirit oppression or whatever is sort of the most popularized um in terms of I guess American culture but like maybe just generally popular culture and in that case there are six forms including possession obsession oppression external physical pain infestation so infestation was that it like affects a house or like a thing, like a possessed doll or an animal. Um, And then subjection. So subjection was like the person chooses to submit to Satan. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> and there are four typical characteristics, which include manifestation of superhuman strength, speaking in tongues, meaning languages that you don't know. Um, and I think like Latin is the big one there. Revelation of knowledge that the victim cannot know. Uh, blasphemous rage, using a lot of obscenity, aversion to holy symbols, like they don't want to have holy water on them or be near a cross or whatever. And then from a different article from Live Science, it said also, I think this like went with the blasphemous rage, was spitting, cursing, and excessive masturbation. So... That's just to scare the kids, though, I think. (laughs) 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 Do you masturbate excessively? (laughs) Yes, says every teenage boy. (laughs) (laughs) You might be possessed. (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, But yeah, but it's present in a lot of other religions. But anyway, so that is the spiritual slash religious definition um, when we're talking about this and we want to get behind like what might actually be going on here yeah from a skeptical side of things so was there anything I guess extra that you had written down for the definition that I did not cover uh, the only thing that I really wanted to add, just because I'll touch on it later, uh, some of these like signs of possession or symptoms, I guess, uh, and you covered a lot of the ones that I had, but um, I've also written down contortions are a big sign of possession as well as vomiting strange objects, which <laughs> I thought was interesting. So like specifically vomiting things that you wouldn't normally eat and then being Oh, no, actually, I think you covered everything else. Okay. So those were the... Like, I need, like, an example. Like, what is something that someone has vomited? Uh, <laughs> I read strange. yesterday that a paperclip is one okay. example. Or, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't but, know. like... Okay. Couldn't that person, like, just have eaten a paperclip? They could have, but there's actually a medical condition for that. Like, for people who have the desire to eat things that you normally would not eat oh well yeah I know that and like pregnant women can get it really I yeah well they can get like a version of it um it's like and I think it's like when you're like lacking in some sort of nutrients or something you'll want to eat things that are non-food like pregnant women will want to eat dirt or paper, or things like that. It's really weird. Yeah, I think I have heard of that before. But yeah, this is like pushpins and paper clips and... Oh, like dangerous. Da- things that like I wouldn't... I mean, not that paper has nutritional value, but... <laughs> <laughs> so the way that this worked out was, like I said, we sort of each focused on a different area slash a different couple of articles that we were particularly interested in. So Paige, you're going to go first and tell me about what you learned. All right. So I tackled this topic really from like a psychological neurological diagnosis standpoint. So I'll kind of go over 
some of these symptoms and signs that we talked about and then some of the reasons as to why people may be doing these things. Like why are people contorting in weird ways? Why are people speaking in tongues or eat, vomiting these strange objects? So I guess like one of the main symptoms and one of the things that I think often isn't able, people aren't able to explain is this like speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot forgot how to say it again. (laughs) Okay. We're going to have to address this. (laughs) Listen, I am a real stickler about pronunciation. (laughs) Well, my problem is, is that like I've listened to these several times and then I look at the word and I'm like, oh crap, (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) So yeah, uh, you have them in your notes. Yeah, they're in my nose. And I have okay. my pronunciations like up right next to me. I just, this one I just forgot. Glossolalia, by the glossolalia. way. Glossolalia. I would have said glossolalia. Yeah, that's also how I would have said it, which is why I listened again. <laughs> glossolalia. Although, like, you, I, that's one of those things, though, that it's like, unless you're like an expert on glossol, wait, which one is it? Glossolalia? Then you would never know. You'd never know. Well, that's true. But that's, now, probably what they're, that's probably what people are counting on. We just won't know. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so apparently uh, dissociative identity disorder, one of the symptoms of that is this glossal, glossolalia. Um, and so, you know, like I said, a lot of times there's no explanation as to why people are speaking in tongues. Why are people saying things that don't make any sense? And that can often be answered by this dissociative identity disorder if somebody has that uh, can also cause things like psychotic uh, symptoms such as hallucinations or sleep disorders and mood swings all things that kind of fall into this uh, sign or symptom of possession and then there's epilepsy which that one kind of explain like the contortions schizophrenia which I think is oftentimes what a lot of people kind of think uh, when they think of possessions schizophrenia tends to cause this paranoia this altered speech and like Uh, the whole hearing voices thing or whatever people associate with that yeah well and i've also read that sometimes it can cause you to think that you have superhuman strength which is also one of those symptoms Uh Um, (laughs) i'm sorry i don't know why that (laughs) struck me as funny it's like anyway okay (laughs) um and then so one thing that you've seen in the movie, like The Exorcist, is this writing, I guess, like on the skin. And there's also specifically a medical condition surrounding that called dermatographia, which is uh, this skin condition where if you scratch at a certain area or if you have put pressure or rub it for too long, it, you can develop welts or hives. And oftentimes, like, if you're rubbing that area for a long time, it can start to look like words. Yeah. Well, and like if you're in a situation like where people are think that this person is possessed and they're doing some sort of exorcism on them, then it could be one of those things. The mind sees what it wants to see. So like an ink blot test. Right. So you think that, you know, kind of these nondescript welts start to look like words to you you know um and I have seen pictures of people who have that condition and it's like it's bonkers 
It does not take very much pressure. You know, they can just write something on their skin or their arm or whatever, and it turns out as this just insane welt that pops out in the shape of whatever they've written or whatever. It's crazy. That is crazy, just by, like, rubbing it. With, like, yeah, like, lightly, like, you know, you would, like, run your nail or something on your skin, and, like, for them it would cause this huge reaction. It's crazy. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then there's this damn... Alatriophagy. See? That's how you say it. Alatriophagy. Alatriophagy. You know how I would have said it? Allotriophagy. That's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at your notes right now. This is going to be a terrible part of the episode. Just be me talking about how I hate it when people pronounce things wrong, but also I don't know how to pronounce things. Um, okay. <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) (laughs) So, allotriophagy, this is what I was talking about earlier with this desire to eat things that are not food. Um, And, yeah, I already talked about the pushpins and the safety clips, but also people have, like, projectile vomited things like nails and glass. Uh, So, you know, obviously, somebody starts projectile vomiting and you're seeing glass come out of their mouth. Uh, that's concerning. And I would understand, I guess, maybe how people would think, oh, this person must be possessed by a demon. Yeah. However, probably this person just had has this desire to eat things that are not food and you just happen to be around when they're vomiting it back up. Yeah, I guess. But like my question would be, so there's these, you know, different conditions that can explain um, the symptoms or whatever of an exorcism or of an exorcism of a possession. But um, I guess from like a psychiatric perspective, like how common is it to see those in a single person? Cause it's like the idea is that you have to like be exhibiting several symptoms. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. So, you're wondering just find if you don't know i'm just like yeah i don't but are you play devil's advocate i would think like you would almost have to have like three of these things yeah and so like, exhibit some of these like really extreme symptoms to for it to be like an explanation as to why yeah like it would be a very seriously ill person if they had like multiple conditions and i guess i don't know like how common is that from a psychiatric perspective to like have somebody who would exhibit have multiple syndromes or whatever that are these things. But anyway, that's just me thinking out loud. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah. Oh, and that was the other thing that I forgot to mention when I talked about the definition of a, or like what constitutes um, a demonic possession And there's, like, a whole four, like, Catholic priests who perform exorcisms. There's a whole set of guidelines that the, I don't know, the Vatican, the Catholic Church, I have no idea, put out 
to say like how they should recognize and how they should deal with possessed people and like how they should perform exorcisms and to their credit (laughs) it does seem like they do some amount of due diligence in terms of trying to decide you know do we think this person is possessed or do we think they are faking it or do we like it's a hoax or like is this just someone who's like seriously mentally ill yeah I I read that they basically just have to like they essentially have to rule out any of these options prior to performing yeah like like exorcism's like the last thing which you know seems Seems like I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This next one that I'm going to talk about, like, kind of answers some of the question I guess you asked before, because this one um, has quite a few of the signs or symptoms in its later stages. So... Susanna, Susanna Kahalen, who I don't know if anybody's read Brain on Fire. Have you even, have you read it or heard of it? Uh, I felt like I had heard of it when you asked me about it before, but I don't know. I might've been thinking of something else. <laughs> so uh, there is a book and there's also a Netflix documentary, Brain on Fire. And I now want that to read the book and watch it. About. I really want to watch it. And unfortunately, I did not watch it before this and I should have. But here we are. So (laughs) Susanna Cahalan, she basically started, she said she just started like feeling kind of paranoid. She had thought that she had bed bugs and like couldn't let it go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is only funny, guys, because I've also done this, and now I'm convinced that (laughs) something terrifying is going to happen to me, (laughs) because I went like a year and a half being convinced I had bed bugs when I, in fact, did not have them. Uh, uh, Yeah, so she, like, it started with her, like, having this, like, panic, I guess, about these bed bugs. Um, And she said that, you know, kind of turned one thing into another. She was pretty paranoid and she had gone into the doctor and they told her initially it was probably just mono, which. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I had mono. (laughs) And what? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't. Oh, but. Yeah, well, like, were there other symptoms, or was it just like, oh, I'm paranoid about bed bugs, and they're like, oh, you have mono? No, so she had she had other symptoms as well, okay. um, but like she's, <laughs> but like it is kind of concerning that this woman like clearly was paranoid, and they were just like, oh, that's fine. 
<laughs> it's just mono. I don't know what that other thing's about. Just mono. Um, yeah, she said that like her, she, she was like sick. She had fever, headache. She was oh, really, okay. really tired. But then she also had this like paranoid piece. I guess that was important to to mention that she had these other things. She didn't just go in and say, "Hey, I'm afraid I have bed bugs," and they're like, "That must be mono." <laughs> <laughs> That was like elite. Like there was no talk of other symptoms. It was just like she went in, she was paranoid, and they were like, "Are you from mono?" <laughs> yeah, obviously that's what happened. <laughs> okay. um, but then she said she started really worrying when she started losing like feeling in her fingers and toes, and uh, she had gone in, and eventually they ended up. Uh, diagnosing her with this anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, which is an autoimmune disease where the body creates antibodies against the NMDA receptors in the brain, uh, which really doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Like I said, I'm not in the medical field. So uh, what do the NMDA receptors deal with? It's primarily memory function and and learning ability. So basically her body was like attacking this part of her brain and attacking the this memory function portion. Uh, this particular disease was only discovered in 2007 and she started displaying in s- symptoms in 2009. So it was like still pretty new. Um, she was only the 217th person to ever have it. Wow. So it took, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that they know of. Uh, the first 217th person to be diagnosed with it. So I already mentioned some of these symptoms being that fever, headache, sleepiness, um, which, you know, I mean, like the doctor said, sounds like mono. Yeah. Uh, but then as things start to progress, it turns into like a more paranoia or you get more paranoid. Um, you start to have hallucinations that people with this start to get really aggressive. Like I said, it does deal with memory function. So they start to have issues with your memory. Uh, you get have a speech disorder, which is similar, like I said earlier, with like schizophrenia, which tends to be, I think, one of the main things that people associate with or think that possessions are. And then there's also this like movement disorder that starts to occur where you move your arms and legs in really weird ways, or even your face and your mouth can contort in weird ways. Uh, You can have seizures, which like with epilepsy still causes that like weird contortion and it causes your body to do things that it may not normally do. Uh, And then she said at some point she just became like, completely like catatonic and yeah okay she what which is like something oh I was gonna say like that's definitely like that like catatonic state is like I don't know if you watch a movie where somebody is possessed it's like oh that's like the end stages like (laughs) they can't even respond anymore they've just been totally taken over (laughs) anyway she says it's crazy like the last the last month of all of this when she was in the hospital, like there's videos of her that she just doesn't even remember any of it. She was like really aggressive towards her nurses one day and they ended up having to put her, um, it's not called a straight jacket, but it's very, it's something very similar where they had to restrain her because she was being really aggressive. And like I said, she just didn't remember any of it. Um, so So like real life illness that is like scarier than, you know, well, to me, scarier than the idea of <laughs> demonic possession. Because it's like, oh, here's something that could actually happen. <laughs> right. But then it also, like, it progresses exactly the same way that possessions 
are supposed to. Yeah, yeah, like increasingly severe or whatever, increasing symptoms that would, you know, be probably freaky from the outside to, well, freaky for the person experiencing them, but then like also freaky to watch from the outside. Um, luckily, this is something that can be treated and she's okay now. Like she's written a book about it. But I, they think that there's a lot of people in the past who have maybe had this that they didn't diagnose and who were who were under the impression they were possessed and then, you know, had exorcisms or whatever to try to fix it. Uh, and the whole time they just had this anti and NMDA receptor encephalitis. In fact, the girl who uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose was based off of Annalisa Michel. Um, she, they're pretty sure had this same disorder. That is crazy. But also I just like got a chill remembering the story about you sitting up in the middle of the <laughs> night like a weirdo and making noises at 3 a.m. <laughs> <Anyway. laughs> so, yeah, this is, I think t- you asked earlier about, you know, how frequently do people display more of these, or more than one of these symptoms? Um, I think this is one of those cases where they really kind of display a majority of them, if not all of yeah. them. Yeah. And, um, if it's not treated, like eventually, I mean, it's lethal. It event, it'll eventually kill you. And yeah, yeah. So. Well, and there's like other. Um, I mean, this is one example of you know an autoimmune disorder, but there are things like MS or Parkinson's or whatever that are similar. I guess in the fact that they're autoimmune disorder, but like yeah, that are these like progressive diseases. So it, yeah. Right. So definitely makes you wonder, like, how often in the way, way back before we knew about these things, like, was this mistaken for, you know, something spooky going on when it was really like, oh, this is a very seriously ill person. Or even Um, now, I mean, with so many, so few people being diagnosed with it, like, I doubt that it's something that's super, that, that people in the medical community are super, super aware of. So, yeah, yeah. Although I guess, like, you'd hope that since there seems to be, like, some sort of vetting process for like, are we allowed to perform an exorcism for priests <laughs> that, they, that would they would know that about this first. was a thing and be say, hey, you need to get tested for this. So, you know, when I show up to my doctor at my physical a few months from now and say, hey, I think I'm possessed. I learned about this and now I think I have whatever this autoimmune disorder is. <laughs> I'm too anxious to think about these things. <laughs> <laughs> just pretend this never happened. Just, for, just don't think about it. Don't think about it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so I feel like that was a pretty good summary of things that could be mistaken for possession. And your doctor will just tell you that you have mono. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that paranoid bed bug thing we're just going to talk about the fact that you're tired yeah (laughs) 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 jeez um (laughs) yikes okay so I don't know my topic is like a little bit more nebulous that I chose to focus on I guess mine was more so 
from the standpoint of like people who claim to have witnessed demonic possession or who like claim to believe in it as like a valid, you know, thing that should be addressed or cured via exorcism. So what I found, I found like a couple articles. Um, one from a man named Stafford Betty. And and like both of these men have PhDs. Although Stafford Betty's PhD is like in religious studies. So I don't really consider him like, you know, a reliable source for like, what should we be doing for these psychiatric treatments? Um, and then the other guy is a psychiatrist. So he has like a medical a medical degree. Um, so the other man is named Richard Gallagher. And I came across the article from Stafford Betty first, um, which was in the Journal of Religion and Health in 2005. And this article, so this is like an actual journal article in like a peer-reviewed publication titled The Growing Evidence for Demonic Possession, What Should Psychiatry's Response Be? And he also like wrote this more recent kind of summary article on HuffPost in 2017 called Why We Should Take Demonic Possession Seriously. Um, So kind of going down the rabbit hole of reading his article, I also came across one that had been, I guess, written about this Richard Gallagher guy. And it's in the Washington Post opinion section. And, oh, the article is titled, As a Psychiatrist, I Diagnose Mental Illness. Also, I Help Spot Demonic Possession. (laughs) So I wanted to look at, like, what could they be what could they be mistaking for demonic possession or for evidence of demonic possession that's, like, actually something else? Or what are the logical fallacies that they're making in in making these claims that we should be skeptical of? Does that make sense-ish? That made perfect sense, yeah. Okay. I'm excited. Great. <laughs> Teach me things. Teach me things. Um, okay. So, yeah. So let's... We'll start with Stafford Betty. So Stafford Betty is, like I said, he is a PhD in religious studies. Um, so not a psychiatrist. And to be honest, and hopefully no like major Stafford Betty fans are listening to this, but a lot of sort of goofy stuff comes up um, <laughs> when you search for him online. So it's like, mm, maybe not the most reliable source here. But just the abstract of this paper that he wrote is gold. So I'm just going to read it because I don't know. It just needs to be heard. Okay. <laughs> from the abstract, evidence of evil spirits is voluminous and comes from many cultures, both ancient and modern cases from China, India, and the United States are examined and evaluated. The actual experience of spirit victims, the universe, universality, <laughs> I can't pronounce anything. (laughs) The universality of You should look that one up on Google. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) The superhuman phenomena associated with possession 
and the comparative success of deliverance and exorcism versus psychiatry are considered. Potential arguments against the spirit hypothesis center on the antecedent improbability of spirits, multiple personality disorder, and the effectiveness of medication, but these can be countered. Psychiatrists should question their materialist assumption that mental illness is strictly a matter of an um, aberrant brain. Carefully examine the literature of possession, experiment to determine why exorcists and deliverance ministers often succeed where psychiatry fails, and develop a more complete inventory of techniques for healing the complete person. So, that's like a very fancy way of saying that, like, this whole paper basically boils down to, okay, here are, like, some cases that I've heard of, because I don't think these are the things that these guys have actually witnessed in the case of Stafford Betty, um, where people have done, you know, unbelievable or, like, quote-unquote, impossible things. Um, and the fact that possession is a concept in like a large portion of the world's cultures that exorcisms like have worked for people, like they've made them better. So like his case is like psychiatry should make this, they should not be so skeptical. Like they should consider it a legitimate option (laughs) for people and like make space for like spiritual therapies or consider them as like alternative therapies to medication or whatever which is like I don't know I don't I don't have any thoughts on this (laughs) I mean (laughs) so it's like what we said before I don't know it's like my immediate thought was Yeah, so my immediately thought as I was reading this was, like, he's, like, because one of the main points that he comes back to, and one of the points that this other guy, Richard Gallagher, um, calls on is the fact that, you know, like, exorcisms have worked for people, right? Like, they've made them better. And to me, it's, like, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist like I'm not a medical doctor but it's like isn't this just evidence of like how strong a force the power of suggestion is right like if the brain like people believe they're possessed so then they believe yes like in essence they are so it's like if you believe that the treatment's gonna work then like the placebo effect right right is a powerful thing so yes so anyway, um, so he like points out that the other thing that he that's like mentioned in the abstract that I read is like, oh, we like need to do legitimate studies to determine like why they succeed. Um, <laughs> which like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> um, so anyway, so this looking into this led me to because he like specifically calls it out. He calls out the quote-unquote entrenched skeptics at PSYCOP, which is C-S-I-C-O-P, which stands for the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, so PSYCOP. 
which has like more recently been rebranded as the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. And they published this magazine called The Skeptical Inquirer. So long story short, they've got this whole mission where it's like they they originally started out in the 70s. This was started to like look at um, investigate like claims of the paranormal, but like for, through a skeptic's lens. So basically like being major killjoys about this stuff. <laughs> Which like I thought, like at first I was like, how do I join this? This sounds like fun. Um, and uh, they do kind of like, they check out in terms of like having very, it's like, it's not a peer reviewed, it's a magazine. It's not a peer reviewed publication or anything, but the articles are written like as if they're scientific papers include like proper citing of sources. So they do like, they are a factual, you know, source of, I don't know, quote unquote news. Um, but it sounds like they can kind of be dicks sometimes. So it's like, well, that's not fun. <laughs> like we're doing this podcast and I have a good, but I, you know, I still think it's fun to, like, think about the possibility of paranormal stuff and look at evidence for it. But I also think it's fun to, like, be critical of it. But I also don't want to be a jerk about it. And I also don't want to be a dick about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. I'm sort of rambling a little bit. Are you with me? Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Okay, so his little, like, call-out of them of being, as being, like, fuddy-duddies, basically, led me to this article that they had done about this Richard Gallagher guy. So um, he's the one who wrote this. Like, as a psychiatrist, I diagnose mental illness. Also, I help spot demonic possession. Um, but he <laughs> claims to be able to identify individuals who are demonically possessed and to help exorcists distinguish them from people suffering from genuine mental illnesses. So like he's the guy that they're calling in to do this due diligence and find out, you know, do they have some sort of medical thing or mental health illness or is this, is this the real deal? Is there a demon inside of them? (laughs) Are they, do they have a mental illness? Um, but, you know, it doesn't exactly inspire a lot of faith. Once <laughs> you like, read his article in <laughs> How Reliable this is. So, the funny duddies. <laughs> Wait, so they're taking them to people who, to psychiatrists who believe in demonic possession. Exactly. Like, they're not taking them yeah. to someone who's going to say, oh, we can't diagnose this person. We have no clue what it is. And then they're saying, well, it must be possession. Exactly. Like he's like a self-proclaimed, like he's a Catholic and like he believe, like he claims in his little article, like, oh, I'm a skeptic. And it's like, are you really though? Because <laughs> you still are clearly yeah. diagnosing people as possessed yeah like you seem very on board with this idea like and not maybe as skeptical as you should be (laughs) so anyway so reading these two things and like reading this kind of rebuttal from the from the committee for skeptical inquiry or it was an article that 
um, someone had written for them. Um, and it was like McKay et al. 2016 superstition masquerading as science um, was the article that they had published addressing the thing about this Richard Gallagher guy. So what I kind of noticed and what focused me in on this topic was just like the similarities between the stuff that this Stafford Betty guy was saying and the stuff that um, Richard Gallagher um, was talking about. And to his credit, like the stuff, the, the examples that Stafford Betty gives are like a little bit more believable. <laughs> Quote unquote believable in terms of being like unbelievable things that could happen. Like he says, uh, a, a recent, so this is 2017. So this is a recent case in Gary, Indiana featured a boy who walked backward up a wall and onto the ceiling of a hospital room when his grandmother took his hand and started to pray for him. A horrified registered nurse who was in the room at the time told the Indianapolis star, there's no way he could have done that. So like that kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> whereas like this Richard Gallagher guy in the article like the Washington Post article um, he like recounts this story of meeting this like I don't know woman that he concludes is possessed by a demon he calls her he says she's a self-styled high priestess who called herself a witch and dressed the part with flowing dark clothes and black eyeshadow around to her temples. Um, and it's like, well, I don't know. Sure. Like, that's just any goth woman ever. Right. <laughs> I could do that. Or a woman who, like, carries around crystals. Like, that doesn't mean that she's possessed. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, that, that would mean that a lot of people I've met in my life are possessed. <laughs> right. <laughs> a like, lot I of people. I know a lot of people who are possessed. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, yeah. So basically, like, these these signs of, of possession that you touched on and, you, like, you touched on the actual medical diagnosis that could be behind them. So, like, one of the things, the other, I guess a couple of the other things were um knowledge that they couldn't have so like this woman i don't know had like some sort of fortune telling psychic ability and he claims like oh she knew things that she couldn't have known um and the rebuttal article you know mentions like you know it's commonly known that fortune tellers psychics these types of people exploit like things like cold reading which is like they're just really good at reading people so they can kind of make these generalizations that sound you know super intense but they're not really um or hot reading like he doesn't know like if she googled him before she (laughs) came down there to meet her like i don't know um and speaking in tongues which you said was you know there is which one was that? That was multiple or dissociative identity disorder. Yes. Yes. Um, Lossolalia. So, <laughs> so let's <laughs> um, so let's say you know you 
hear through the grapevine, like, oh, this person was speaking in tongues. And yeah, just like to think skeptically about that. It's like, well, how do they know for sure that the person didn't know this language before? Um, And like, how do we know that they're speaking it accurately? Like in the movies or whatever, you hear, oh, this person spoke flawless Latin. And it's like, well, do you speak flawless Latin? Like, (laughs) no. Are you also possessed? Right. (laughs) Are you also possessed? So anyways, like, I think that stuff's kind of silly. Um, okay. So, yeah. So then both of these guys... Like, a lot of it is just hearsay. Like, it's the story that I just told you about the little boy, like, walking backwards up the wall or onto the ceiling. Like, he heard that story from somebody else. He was not there. Um, So, point out that if you're looking at this from a skeptical um, point of view or, like, trying to figure out, like, what could actually be going on here of, like, why people think this... um, there have been studies done that have shown, and like you and I know from listening to so much true crime stuff, that like eyewitness reports, there are serious limitations on their reliability, right? Or like what people embellish, stuff like that. So potentially these are just bullshit. Like you can't just trust someone tells you like, oh, I walked backwards up the wall. And it's like, well, is there a video of it? <laughs> Right. I would need, I would actually probably need to be standing in the room and see somebody do that to yeah. believe. Well, that yeah. And like, especially now today, like they've got those like deep fake videos or whatever. It's like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. Right. <laughs> you could fake anything. <laughs> um, and yeah. And then the other thing that, so it's like eyewitness reports, but then uh, Stafford Betty, he calls on like, he and he suggests that like evidence of possession being real and that you know demonic spirits or whatever are real is like the experience of the possessed person themselves and it's like well so there's been laboratory research that's been done that uh has indicated that people who so this is you know different than people who are possessed but like people who report experiencing past lives or alien abductions display higher rates of false recall and commit more recognition errors than do comparison participants. So basically like these people who claim to have had these like remarkable paranormal experiences, like may not be super reliable. Maybe they're not reliable because they were abducted by aliens. (laughs) Maybe something happened. All right there. <laughs> um, yeah. So then other <laughs> whatever page. Um, so you mentioned, I think it was schizophrenia you mentioned makes people think that they like have superhuman strength. Yes. So one other explanation is that extreme strength uh it can be caused by excess cortisol, which is like the stress hormone. Um, and adrenaline surging through the bloodstream. So it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, the mother lifts the car off of right. the baby or whatever. Like, that is a thing. So, yeah. So that's another possible explanation for that sign of demonic, ex- <laughs> demonic possession. <laughs> demonic exorcism. Oh, people levitating, which I think is, I can't remember if I mentioned that as like a possible 
thing. I mean, the guy, the kid, like, climbing up the wall, like, that's... Yeah, you talked about that, but I don't think you mentioned levitation. As a possible sign? Okay, well, apparently that's, like, also a thing. Um, But, again, like, so that's something that Richard Gallagher talks about. Um, And he's he's just like, well, I I didn't witness it, but people who do exorcisms, like, vow to him that they've seen it. And it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) I've also levitated before. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. And then I think in both these guys, you know, suggest that there should be some sort of study, but then kind of like get into this very like, oh, well, you know, there's just no way to study it. So it's like we just have to accept it. And it's like, well, that's not how science works. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Like, this is just, like, <laughs> we just need to evade peer review because there's no legitimate way to, like, study this in a way that science would actually accept. So, yeah, it's just, it's just silly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then just things that are, like, um, so, you know, they both point to the fact that a ton of different cultures say that possession or have stories of possession um, or have it as part of their culture um and they just say like oh well this is just like the bandwagon fallacy right so this erroneous assumption that widespread belief in a claim constitutes sufficient evidence for it um which is sort of true right like it's just this like there are lots of myths and stuff that are the same across lots of different cultures, but we don't necessarily think that they really happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then just like this, this idea that both of these guys, you know, suggest that demonic possession should be acknowledged as a legitimate possibility by psychologists in treating their patients. And it just comes back to what we talked about before, which is like, yeah, the human brain is really great at tricking itself into believing that things are real that are not. So, (laughs) so like, yeah, like the placebo effect of the thing. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. You already answered all my questions. Yeah. In fact, you ask the same you asked the questions I was going to ask and then answer them oh sorry that's all right <laughs> so so yeah so just I don't know there's not really a point to the end of this there's no take home <laughs> message other than like <laughs> there are reasons that people may seem possessed yeah other than possession yeah, and or just because people the, tell you that they're possessed and you, they think they've seen things doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like you can't just believe. Like you can't go into something believing that it's real, but like you claim to be a skeptic because you're just going to be more likely to see that (laughs) like a confirmation bias or whatever like you believe that it's real so you're more likely to believe a person and like see things that aren't actually happening right um okay 
I think I've learned some things from your thing. Yeah, I feel like I learned some stuff too. Well, so that's good. That's good. So, um, okay, to wrap up each episode, once we're done talking about the main whatever topic, (laughs) um, we thought that it would be fun to do a brief segment um, on, yeah, on something spooky. So Paige is going to do the first one. All right. So for this brief segment, uh, I asked the question of what makes sound so scary. and I found this article by Dr. Dan Bloomstein at UCLA uh, in 2012, and he actually did a TED talk on it, if you're interested, called The Sound of Fear. So he was studying marmots, and he he said he was holding this baby. And as he was holding it, a baby marmot, not a baby human, it just, it started screaming. And um, he said that it kind of just like, it spooked him a little bit. He said, I didn't know why. Um, but it just made him feel uncomfortable. It made him feel kind of scared. So he wanted to look into this. He wanted to study, like, why did this sound freak him out so much? And basically, just like a really brief overview is that these screaming sounds that animals make um, are produced when they're overblowing their vocal cords. They're pushing too much air out of their larynx. And it causes this kind of like distorted sound or what he what they talk about is nonlinear sound which is this sound waves that are have this very high amplitude uh and when animals are under duress so if they're you know looking for their mom or if they're scared because they think there's a predator around or heck if a giant human is holding you and you don't know what it is uh, <laughs> um, they make this like really loud distorted scream and basically that sound is something that like instinctively animals are taught to fear because it usually means that like something bad is happening or something bad is coming. So when people make spooky music, a lot of times they put little clips of these like screaming, a lot of times it's screaming women, but they've also found out like by pulling some of these clips out that some of it is just screaming animals. It's not even people. Put it as like, like subliminal stuff. Like, not because like I listen to like spooky music it's not like just people screaming (laughs) (laughs) well and so there's also like they've also there's also a lot of talk about how like different you know chords matched up together can make can make you feel kind of like eerie just because they don't sound pleasing to the ear Um, but specifically with like a lot of music that's in like horror films and the reason that that makes you feel scared while you're watching it is because they'll they'll kind of throw these like I said these screaming animals or screaming women a lot of times into it which add this kind of distortion now a lot of music I think does it on its own just by putting um some like higher pitched music that they just kind of distort using Uh garage band or whatever um but (laughs) whatever it is that the professionals those music people use (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, the reason it makes us feel scared is because, like I said, it taps into this instinctive thing that we have where we think that this sound means like, oh, something scary is coming. So sweet. Um, yeah, my only comment would be what a funny (laughs) 
or not funny, not funny, ha, like funny. I don't know. That's a weird thing to say. Like he's oh, it's holy this baby marmot, and it started screaming in terror, and like I wondered why that made me uncomfortable. And it's like Are you a robot, like that will make anybody uncomfortable. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> like I get it that he's trying to say like what specifically like about that about sound. that sound bothered him like like <laughs> like freaks you out but it's like obviously like, we have to be hardwired for that right because like your kid screams in pain or whatever and it's like you are like cued into that you know right okay I think we covered everything. I think so. Um, all right. <laughs> wrapping things up. I don't know. What do we what do we what do people say at the end of podcast? Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's our episode on exorcism and possession. Catch us next time for the second episode. Thanks for listening. Beautiful. I don't know. Is that what people say? Okay. Yeah, that's what people say. Cool. Catch you later. Catch you on the flip side. Spooky people. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.